the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, I ask you to turn in the Bible, the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. Let me begin a little bit, and I'd like to read to you the first six verses. So at least you have it all. Now, I will tell you, it'll sound a little like gobbledygook, because he says this, and he says it again, but he says it a little differently. Just follow along so you can kind of get the flow a little bit. And so verse 1 begins by saying this. Jesus speaking to the guys. They're on their, their walk towards Gethsemane and what's going to happen future after that. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And that's what we're hopefully going to cover today is to make some sense and to perhaps bring it to a real practical conclusion for all of you. When you begin in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. You know, as I look at that, it seems to be kind of so simple. I'm the vine. What is he really getting at? Well, those of you that have been with us from the very beginning of our study of the Gospel of John, you'll notice that Jesus made what we call the I am statements. Seven of them. This is the seventh one, and it's the last one. Here are the first six so that you'll know. You have it in your notes. He begins by saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. It's interesting because he ends with this, and my opinion is, is I believe that nothing the Lord is doing is just throwing out information and we kind of have to put it all together. I believe that he is laying this out as a master craftsman of truth. So that each one of those I am's is building towards this, I am the vine. And I believe at this time he's not talking to those that do not know Christ as Savior and they need to attach themselves to Christ in order to be saved. I think that's in some of the other I am's. I believe in this one he's talking about now those that have trusted Christ as Savior. Now we need to know what does it mean to stay vitally connected in a life enriching relationship with him so that we too would bear fruit and I'll explain that 
Now this idea of vine and branches, that concept, not so much of a vine and a branch, but God is one thing or Jesus is one thing and we're something else, is a common phrase that the Lord uses. And it's wonderful how he paints all these pictures so that you and I can see a kaleidoscope of who he is and who we are. For example, he says, I'm the father and you're the children to believers. He says, I'm the king and you're the subjects. I'm the cre creator, you're the creatures. I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep. I'm the, build, the builder, you're the building. I'm the master, you're the slaves. I'm the husband, you're the bride. I'm the head, you're the body. I'm the cornerstone, you're the building. And in this case, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, when we hear that, I would like to take you back in your mind's eye to the time that these Jewish brothers, his disciples, were living and what they were hearing when he said, I am the true vine. Because that's quite important. You see, in our time, we hardly ever know about vines. Now, we see some vines in some of the wineries that they might have on the big island and a couple of our other islands, but we don't live in a culture where we're just putting out wine. Well, first of all, in the Middle East, in that area, wine was pretty popular. That was one of their common drinks, like Coca-Cola might be to us. And so they would drink that and they would see where it was produced everywhere that they went, they would see that. But if you were a Jew, it was more than just seeing what was around them in their area. You would also know that it was part of their culture. In fact, even in the Old Testament, the Lord was speaking in, through the psalmist and said that you are my special chosen vine. And here's what he says in Psalm 80, verse 8. He says, You, a removed vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. But then look what happens to this favored nation of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and Hosea, he goes on to say, the Lord speaking, Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? So he's saying, here I am, I've taken you out of Egypt and I'm planting you in the promised land and you're going to flourish and in a sense you're going to be the salvation for the world, so to speak. Of course, it's through Christ, but through the nation of Israel. So the Jews knew that. But then when they got there, they rejected God, and so they became what we might say the, uh, the vine gone wild. You've heard some of that, the vine gone wild. And that's what's happened to them. But they still saw the vine as very much a reality to them. In fact, if you knew something about the history between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 years where that Scripture and God is silent. And during that time, there was a lot going on historically and politically. There was a group of people called the Maccabees in that Maccabean time. They had coins. And on that coin, they would have a picture of a vine representing the nation of Israel. In fact, when these guys would look at Herod's temple, they would see across the front part of the temple, you would see another chiseled in the picture of a vine. It'd be very similar for us in America. When you look at your quarters and some of your half dollars and silver dollars, you will see on it a picture of an eagle because that would represent the United States. Here in Hawaii, it wouldn't be diamond head. We would think diamond head, wouldn't we? Because that's like everybody sees diamond head. But that's really only representative of one island, Oahu. But for all the islands, we would see a picture or a statue of Kamehameha. And that would be representative of who we are and what we are and what we're all about because he brought all the islands together, etc. Now, that being the case, they would look at the vine and they would see that. So I can only imagine as Jesus is now going to teach them about staying vitally connected to them, he would then draw a word picture from their history, but also from their culture around them about this particular vine. But he changes it. It's not Israel that was this 
vine gone wild so much. Now he is saying, I am the life-giving vine. I am the one from which you're going to get your salvation. I am the one that's going to give you that intimate, spiritual relationship that will provide not only growth, but much fruit from you. So it's all about him. So the songs that Ryan selected today were how much God loves us and how much we should love him and it's all in Christ alone because it's all about our relationship with him. And that's what makes this such an important study as we now begin to learn what we should do and how important that is for us. So I hope that today you'll gain three important truths that you can take home with you. The first truth is this, and that we are simply the branches. Let's go back to the passage here in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The first part of verse 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now, as I look through this passage of Scripture, there are what we might call three major entities here. The first would be God the Father, and you might see that in your notes there, because He is what is known as the vine dresser. Now, some of you might see the word farmer down there, and that might work for you, but I think it's a little bit more than just a farmer. A farmer might dig up the soil, might uh, plant some seeds, keep out the weeds, make sure that it's well watered, etc. Kind of a farmer does all of that, but a vine dresser does something else. A vine dresser takes the vine that is already there and delicately but yet firmly dresses the vine so that it will do one thing and one thing only, and that is bear much fruit. Now when you think about that for a moment, you might want to realize that when you work with vines, those that work in agriculture, they tell me that working a vine is sometimes the most delicate, the most difficult, the most trying experience that a vine dresser or farmer would ever have. And so I thought, interesting how that might be, the branches and the vine and working all this together so that it would bring the most fruit that it possibly can. So I look over here at God the Father as the gardener, the one that really takes care of us, and that I look at myself, and although I'm not the vine, I'm the branches, I can only imagine how challenging I have been, and hopefully won't be as much in the future to the Lord, but how He has had to continually work in my life, wanting me to be right from the inside out, but sometimes having to get my attention from the outside to work it in so there would be a true brokenness, and how wild of a branch that I really am. And as you look at me and you say, that's right, preacher, you are a wild branch. I want you to know we all are wild branches from time to time. But God loves us. I want you to remember that, that no matter who you are as a believer, especially now, that God really loves you just that way. But we move. He's not only God the Father. We see the entity of Jesus Christ being the vine. And when he says, I'm the true vine, he's basically saying, do not look for your salvation in the political arena of Israel. There no longer. Don't look for your help from anywhere, for your help only comes from me, the life giver. Now for a moment, you might want to reflect on yourself. How many of us have looked to other entities to provide us what we really need to have our life here? And when we don't get that, certain things happen. We begin to manipulate to get it. We begin to intimidate to get it. We begin to do all sorts of things because what we're looking for to bring us life that cannot is not. But we still want it from there. And for a Christian, I think it's even more deplorable because we are the ones who should know better that our life, that that which sustains life and that which will produce fruit and that which will produce more fruit is only found in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Well, we have God the Father as the garden, we have Jesus as the vine, and here we are as the branches. 
Well, you know that already, that we're the branches, but that tells me that I'm always going to be in need of constant care in this world. Now, some of us have a hard time to really admit that we need care, we need compassion, we need correction in our life, we need direction in our life. Well, while we need that, I pray that you realize that we have a very loving Father who wants to provide all of that for us, and He is the one who will bring all of that to us so that we will bring fruit. But at the same time as a branch... We've read this and we'll study it, that in order for us to really live, to thrive, we have to stay vitally abiding in the vine. So remember that we are just the branches. So I look at this and I say, I ought not try to be the gardener. Yes, there are times that I need to get things taken care of in my life, but remember I need to do it through the eyes and the words of Christ in my life and let Him prune me. Let him do what he needs to bring out the fruit that we should have and we would want to have to bring glory to him. So what is going on in your life right now that you might be fighting the gardener, especially when you see him coming with his little clippers? I hope not. I hope you will lay bare before him and say you're a loving father and you'll clip off that which is dead. You will lift up that which is not bearing fruit. You will now trim me so that I'll bear more fruit. Would you let him do that? He's the gardener, not you. But also, we're not the vine either. So as I look to the vine, I have to realize that I can't produce life in myself. All I can do is let that life come from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So remember, we are nothing more than just the branches. Watch this. Attached to Jesus Christ. So we're the branches. But number two, the second truth is we're to be pruned. Let's go back to the passage again. We're to be pruned. Let me ask you, how many of you um, are growing things in your backyard or front yard or along the side that you're pruning right now to kind of make them a little bit better? I don't know, but some of you might be doing that, kind of taking off those little, we call them suckers. You know what a sucker is? Those are the things that kind of suck the life out of it, kind of holds it back from being strong. Well, that's the pruning that we need to do. And I find when I prune, it kind of makes it look ugly, but after a while it makes the bush or the tree or whatever get so much more full. I thought about going over to one of these gardening shops and bring a plant over here and show you about how it's attached to all of this, but really, it doesn't talk about a tree now. It doesn't talk about a bush. It doesn't talk about a pineapple plant. It talks about a vine, and so you've got to keep that illustration clear in your mind. So we need to be pruned. Now, when he prunes us, there's some pruning that he does. If there's an actual dead branch, we've got to remove it. If there's one that's bearing some fruit, but we know that if we prune and clean it up a little bit, it'll bear more fruit. And that's what he does. Let's go back to the passage and you'll see what I mean, particularly in verse 2 and verse 3. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now for a moment here, I'd like you to listen carefully because I'm going to get a little deeper. I want you to understand this concept again about being in Christ. To be in Christ for salvation is something that happens the very moment you accept Christ as your Savior by placing your faith in Him. You are now made to be in Him. You are in Him. When you are in Him, you are not only saved, you are accepted in the Beloved One, and that means you have all the rights that God gives to His Son, He now gives to you. You are now in Christ. So I believe this passage is primarily speaking to those who already know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It is not a passage to try to mix that, to say, well, if you do this, you're not saved. To do that, you are saved. If you do this, you've got to do that. I want you to know that it's speaking to those who are already in Christ. So it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
Now when you read that, some people would give you a particular interpretation that says that means he kind of snips you off and he throws you into the fire as it says later in the passage. And so therefore, if you don't abide in Christ, you will lose your salvation. It's over for you and it's that, that's the end of the game. The problem with that is that there is voluminous amount of scripture, so much theology to tell you that once you are in Christ, you can't get out of Christ. You are a blood-bought, born-again believer. He will not cast you out. He will not lose you. You are held by the power of God in his hand forever, so you will not lose your salvation. Too much to say that that would mean that. The second interpretation of that is, okay, if you're not bearing fruit, well, he'll take you home before your time. In other words, he will snip you off from this life in Christ and you'll go to heaven. Now there is enough verses of scripture that I think we could make a legitimate conclusion on that and I'll talk about that in just a moment. However, my take on this, the way I understand this to be at the early part of this teaching goes a little bit more with two sources. The first source is going to be scripture and that's going to be what I call grace. That because we're not abiding in the Lord and we're not abiding in, uh, we're not bearing the fruit I don't believe that the Lord immediately wants to squash us, immediately wants to throw his judgment at us, immediately wants to take us into heaven. I believe there's a whole lot more grace. And so with a lot of teaching of his loving kindness and mercy and grace behind it, I then go back to what the culture would teach. Back in those days when a branch wasn't bearing fruit, wasn't bearing the results that they should, they often would lift up, not take away, but lift up. And the Greek would say that. It, has the connotation in the Greek that it's lifting up. They would put boards under it. They would do what they could to strengthen this branch at the very beginning, kind of like one last deal to see if it'll start bearing fruit. Otherwise, we will then remove it. So that's why it still could mean later on that if we're not bearing fruit, that there's a time that the Lord will say, your time on earth is up. Now some of you are thinking, does that mean everyone is a Christian who dies, that they weren't bearing fruit and God took them home? No, don't go there. Please don't go there. Do not be a fruit inspector, okay? Let God take care of that. Back to this passage here. So I believe it's His grace. If you're not bearing fruit, He's going to lift you up a little bit. There's going to be a little bit more of God's grace, a little bit more of the Lord's tender kindness in your life. Scripture says in Romans chapter 2 that it's also the goodness of God that brings about repentance. So let me pause for a moment. I don't know you. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But maybe you have experienced God's graciousness recently. Maybe it was through finances. Maybe it was through a special blessing with your fitness. Maybe it was through family or friends. Or maybe a foe in your life turned into a friend in your life. And you're experiencing God's goodness in your life. You know what he's doing right now? He's lifting you up to bring about a change of mind. Not a change of life, but a change of mind about who you are and who he is. And how gracious he is and that we ought to serve him out of grace and love, not out of I'm afraid he's going to get me kind of a thing. So right now, do not do despite to the grace of God in your life. Respond to it, change your thinking, and let that then change your life. But go back to this passage here, how beautiful it is, how good God is when he lifts us up. He then says, in every branch that bears fruit. In other words, you are seeing some fruit in your life. What is he going to do then? He is going to prune it so that it will bear more fruit. So the idea is that you would not just bear fruit, but that you would be the most fruitful, full of fruit-bearing believer in Christ you possibly could be. Now, wouldn't you like that? I know I would. I would like to bear as much fruit as I possibly can that God would want me to bear so I don't compare myself to others. But what does He want me? I want the very best out of my life. 
Now, to do that, though, I have to submit to his pruning. And maybe that's where some of us are now. Verse 3 says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And in your margin, you might just want to put this down. This is one more indication that he's talking to those who already know Christ as Savior. That word clean could also mean you've already been pruned. You're already clean. I've already cleansed you. And there's a lot of other verses that talks about how the word of God will clean us. In John alone, he talked about those of you, he says, I, I've already cleaned you, you're already clean, Peter, so I don't need to do this again. Now you just clean up those sinful things in your life, but you don't have to be clean to go to heaven. I've cleansed you, cleansed you. The Word now has done that, so I think it's talking to believers. So now we get into another issue now. We question now, what, what fruit? If, I, if I'm supposed to be bearing fruit and he's going to be wanting me to bear more fruit, and he's going to do that through me, what would my fruit look like? So then I would tell you to do the same thing I did. Go through a scripture search in scripture and find out the different times he talks about fruit in the Bible. So I'm going to give those to you for, first of all. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now it's interesting, those of you that have been with us, I try to always bring out the Trinity. We see uh, concepts about God, concepts about Christ, concepts about, about the Holy Spirit and how interesting that sometimes he talks about the same subject but he talks about God. Other times, same subjects, he talks about Christ. Sometimes he's talking about the same subject but he talks about the Holy Spirit indicating that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one. He talks about him bearing much fruit through us. This, the Holy Spirit, is bearing much fruit through us. So again, some of the fruit that we have is the fruit of the Spirit, which will be in our character of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. So he wants us to bear more of that, as much as we can of that, and he does it through us abiding in him pruning. Let's go to the second one. Praise is offered to God. It says, through him. I think in the context, it's referring to Christ. It says, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What is that? The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And so I guess one of the ways that sometimes when we have pruning going on, we come to a point of brokenness where we finally see God doing some great things and we bring all praise and all glory to Him. Watch this. Not so much for the kinds of ways He pruned us. Because that means we're kind of a glutton for punishment. All right. Snip me again, Lord. No, it's for what it will bring about. And it brings about a change. It brings about character development. It brings about God's presence in our life in an intimate way. And all of a sudden, now what would that do? We would say, praise the Lord for the fruit that you have borne through me. And then as we mature, we begin to say, Lord, not only do I thank you for the fruit that you've given to me, but I also want to thank you for the, what you've done in my life to bring about that which then will bring about the fruit in my life. Praise is offered to God. Monetary gifts and sacrificial love to others would also be fruit. Godly living in general is referred to as fruit. And then also authentic believers. You heard a little bit said this morning already about going into all the world and sharing the gospel that when God begins to prune us, we begin to start realizing that no matter what we go through, those do not, who do not know Christ as Savior have it a lot worse. And now what we do is we try to bring the gospel to them. They come to know Christ as Savior and they are our fruit that the Lord has privileged us with that we were able to bring the message to, and yet we did do nothing. We didn't save them. We didn't convict them of sin. We didn't do anything other than just bring the light of the glorious gospel and the personal work of Christ to them. God took over, but we get to call them fruit. I like what one person says. Apple trees bear apples. Vines bear grape. Christians bear other Christians, and that would be our fruit. 
But even after I went through all of that, I'm still trying to dig deeply. What fruit? What fr- how do I, there's, there's all kinds of fruit. What could this fruit be? I would like to submit to you that I believe that the greatest part of all the fruit bearing that we would have would be simply this, bottom line, that we would be most like Christ, that I would become, the fruit that I bear is going to be to the world, that the world would see more of Christ in me. It's that Christ-like connection. I'm so vitally connected to Him that I will become more like Him. So yes, an apple tree bears apples, but I want you to know this is Christ is the vine. When I'm connected to Him, I'm going to bear more of a Christ-like lifestyle, more of a Christ-like character to this world. So the greatest fruit that I possibly could have, bearing more of that to this world, is that they would see Jesus Christ in me. Now where where are you in all of that? Especially when you go through trials, do they really see more of Christ in us? So why do we need to be pruned? This whole passage talks about being pruned. Well, pruning is unavoidable and necessary for fruit bearing. I want you to remember this phrase and write it in your margin. We are being pruned, not punished. Would you write that down? We are being pruned, not punished. All of our punishment, every bit, everything I've done wrong, will do wrong, doing wrong now, I want you to know I need to be punished for that. But Jesus took the punishment for me on the cross, so now everything I'm going through is a pruning process so I could become more like Jesus Christ. A horticulture magazine said this. Let me read this to you. It's not long, but it's so rich. It says, pruning, it's in an article called Pruning a Grapevine Step by Step. It says, mature grapevines need yearly pruning to produce large clusters of sweet, delicious grapes. Okay, if that's true and the Lord is staying with that analogy, that must mean that I'm going to need consistent pruning. Now with a vine, it might be yearly. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.